Section ten of the Chouans by Honore de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter two E. Although Madame de Gouin had followed the lover-like pair, they had unwittingly walked faster than she did, and soon found themselves about a hundred paces ahead of her. The two picturesque beings were treading the sandy road, absorbed in the childish pleasure of hearing their light footsteps sounding together, pleased that the same spring-like rays of sunlight should envelop them both, glad to breathe the same air with the autumn scent of fallen leaves in it, which seemed to be a nourishment brought by the breeze for the sentimental melancholy of their growing love although neither of them appeared to regard their brief companionship as anything but an ordinary adventure there was something in the sky above them in the season and in the place which gave their sentiments a tinge of soberness and lent an appearance of passion to them they began to praise the beauty of the day and then fell to talking of their strange meeting of the end of the pleasant intercourse so nearly approaching and of how easy it is to become intimate upon a journey with people who are lost to sight again almost directly after we meet them at this last observation the young man availed himself of a tacit permission which seemed to warrant him in making some sentimental confidences and in venturing a declaration like a man accustomed to situations of this kind do you notice mademoiselle he said how little our feelings flow in their accustomed channels in these times of terror in which we live is there not a striking and unexplainable spontaneity about everything that takes place around us we love nowadays or we hate on the strength of a single glance we are bound together for life or we are severed with the same speed that brings us to the scaffold we do everything in haste like the nation in its ferment we cling to each other more closely amid these perils than in the common course of life lately in paris we have come to know as men learn on the battlefield all that is meant by a grasp of the hand the thirst for a full life in a little space she said was felt then because men used to have so short a time to live she gave a rapid glance at her companion which seemed to put him in mind of the end of their brief journey and added maliciously you have a very fair knowledge of life for a young man just leaving the ecole polytechnique what do you think of me he asked after a moment's pause tell me frankly and without hesitation you wish in turn to acquire the right of speaking in like fashion of me she queried laughing you are not answering me he said after another slight pause beware silence is very often an answer in itself did i not guess all that you wished you could tell me eh mon dieu you have said too much already oh if we understand each other he said smiling 
I have obtained more than I dared to hope. She smiled so graciously at this that she seemed willing to engage in a courteous fence in words in which a man delights to press a woman closely. Half in jest and half in earnest, they persuaded themselves that it was impossible that, each for each, they could ever be other than they were at that moment. The young man could fairly give himself up to a predilection which had no future before it, and Marie could laugh at him. When, in this way, they had set up an imaginary barrier between them, both of them seemed eager to take full advantage of the dangerous liberty which they had just acquired. Marie suddenly slipped on a stone and stumbled. "'Take my arm,' said the stranger. "'I shall have to do so, giddy pate, because you would grow so conceited if I declined, would it not look as if I were afraid of you?' "'Ah, mademoiselle,' he said, pressing her arm against him to let her feel the beating of his heart. You have just made me very vain by this favor. Well, then, my readiness to grant it will dispel your illusions. Do you want to arm me already against the dangerous emotions you inspire? I beg that you will stop this talk she said do not involve me in a labyrinth of boudoir small talk and the jargon of drawing-rooms i do not like to find the sort of ingenuity that any fool can attain to in a man of your caliber look here we are out in the open country under a glorious sky everything before us and above us is great you wish to inform me that i am pretty is that not so but I can tell that quite well from your eyes, and moreover I am aware of it. I am not a woman to be gratified by civil speeches. Possibly you would speak to me of your sentiments, she went on, with sardonic emphasis on the last word. Could you really think me foolish enough to believe in a sudden sympathy, powerful enough to control a whole life by the memories of one morning? not the memories of a morning he replied but of a beautiful woman who has shown herself to be magnanimous as well you forget she said laughing much greater attractions than these i am a stranger to you and everything about me must seem very unusual in your eyes my name rank and position and my freedom of thought and action you are no stranger to me he exclaimed i have divined your nature i would not add one perfection more to your completeness unless it were a little more belief in the love that you inspire at first sight you poor seventeen-year-old boy you are prating of love already she smiled very well so be it then it is a stock subject of conversation when any two creatures meet like the wind and the weather when we pay a call let us take it then you will find no false modesty nor littleness in me i can hear the word love pronounced without blushing it has been said to me so very often 
but not in tones that the heart uses that it has grown almost meaningless in my ears i have heard it repeated everywhere in the theatre in books and in society but i have never met with anything that resembled the magnificent sentiment itself have you looked for it yes the word fell from her so carelessly that the young man started and gazed at marie as if his views with regard to her character and condition had undergone a sudden change mademoiselle are you girl or woman an angel or a fiend he asked with ill-concealed emotion both the one and the other she answered him smiling is there not something both diabolical and angelic in a girl who has never loved does not love and possibly never will love and you are happy for all that he asked with a certain freedom of tone and manner as if this woman who had liberated him had fallen in his esteem already happy she asked oh no when i happen to think how solitary i am and of the tyranny of social conventions which perforce makes a schemer of me i envy man his prerogatives then at the thought of all the means with which nature has endowed us women so that we can surround you and entangle you in the meshes of an invisible power that not one of you can resist my lot has its attractions for me and then all at once it seems to me a pitiful thing and i feel that i should despise a man who could be deceived by these vulgar wiles sometimes in short i recognize the yoke we must bear with approval then again it is hateful to me and i rebel against it sometimes a longing stirs within me for that lot of devotion which makes a woman so fair and noble a thing and then again i am consumed by a desire for power this is perhaps the natural struggle between good and evil instincts by which everything lives here below angel or fiend did you say ah i do not recognize my double nature to-day for the first time we women know our own insufficiency even better than you do instinctively we expect in everything a perfection which is no doubt impossible but she sighed as she turned her eyes to the sky there is one thing which ennobles us in your eyes and that is asked he well that is the fact that we are all struggling more or less against our destiny of incompleteness mademoiselle why must we take leave of you to-night ah she said smiling at the glowing look the young man turned upon her let us go back to the coach the fresh air is not good for us and marie hurried back to it as the stranger followed he pressed her arm with scanty respect for her but in a manner which expressed both his admiration 
and the feelings which had gained the mastery over him. She quickened her pace. The sailor guessed that she meant to escape from a suit which might be urged upon her, and this made him the more vehemently eager. He risked everything to gain a first favor from this woman, and said diplomatically, Shall I tell you a secret? Oh, at once, if it relates to your own affairs. I am not in the service of the Republic. Where are you going? I will go with you. Marie shuddered violently at these words. She withdrew her arm from his and put both hands before her face to hide the red flush, or the pallor, it may be, that wrought a change in her features. Then, in a moment, she uncovered her face and said in a tremulous voice, So you began, as you would fain have ended, by deceiving me? Yes, he said. She turned her back on the bulky coach towards which they were walking, and almost started to run. But just now the fresh air was not good, began the stranger. Oh, it is different now, she said, with a sad note in her voice, and she walked on. A storm of thoughts was raging within her. You are silent? the stranger said. His heart was full of joyous anticipation of pleasure to come. Oh, she cried briefly, how quickly the tragedy has begun. What tragedy are you talking of? he inquired. She stopped short, scanning the pupil from the école with both fear and curiosity in her looks. Then she concealed her troubled feelings beneath an inscrutable serenity. Evidently for so young a woman she had no small practical knowledge of life. Who are you? she went on. But I know who you are. I suspected you at first sight. Are you not the royalist chief called the Gar? The ex-bishop of Autun was quite right when he cautioned us to believe in our forebodings of ill. What interest can there be for you in knowing that fellow? What interest could he have in concealing his identity when I have saved his life already? She began to laugh, but it was with visible effort. I did wisely, she said, when I prevented you from making love to me. Understand this, sir. You are abhorrent to me. I am a Republican. You are a Royalist. I would give you up if I had not passed my word, if I had not saved your life once already, and if— She broke off. These stormy revulsions of feeling, the struggle which she scarcely troubled herself to hide from him any longer, alarmed the stranger. He tried to watch her, but to no purpose. Let us part at once. I will have it so. Good-bye, said she. She turned sharply from him, took a step or two, and then came back again. 
nay she said it is of immense importance to me to know who you really are do not hide anything tell me the truth who are you you are no more a pupil of the ecole polytechnique than a seventeen-year-old i am a sailor ready to leave the sea to follow you wherever your fancy may lead me if i am fortunate enough to represent a puzzle of some sort to you i shall be very careful not to extinguish your interest in it why should we bring the grave cares of real life into the life of the heart in which we were coming to understand one another so well our souls could have met and known each other she said earnestly but i have no right to demand your confidence sir you shall never know the extent of your obligations to me i will say no more they went some little way in absolute silence you take a great interest in my life the stranger began for pity's sake sir either give me your name or do not speak you are a child and i am sorry for you she added shrugging her shoulders the persistent way in which his fellow-traveller set herself to learn his secret brought the supposed sailor into a predicament between ordinary prudence and his desires a powerful attraction lies in the displeasure of a woman we long to win and when she yields and relents no less than in her anger her sway is absolute she seizes upon so many fibres of man's heart as she subdues and penetrates it was her vexation one more while of the coquette in mademoiselle de verneuil in spite of the fever that burned within him the stranger had sufficient remaining self-control to mistrust a woman who wished to extort his secret of life and death from him he held the hand which she absently allowed him to take why said he to himself should my blundering which sought to add a future to to-day have destroyed all the charm of it instead mademoiselle de verneuil who seemed to be in great trouble was silent in what way is it possible that i can give you pain he began and what can i do to soothe you tell me your name it was his turn to be silent now and they walked on some steps further then mademoiselle de verneuil suddenly stopped like some one who has made a momentous decision marquis of montauran she said with dignity though she could not altogether hide the inward agitation which gave a kind of nervous trembling to her features i am happy to do you a service at whatever personal cost here we must separate the coach and the escort are too necessary for your safety for you to decline to accept either of them you have nothing to fear from the republicans all those soldiers you see are men of honor and i shall give orders to the adjutant which he will carry out faithfully i myself shall return on foot to alencon 
my maid and a few of the soldiers will go back with me heed me well for your life is in danger if before you are in safety you should meet the detestable muscadin whom you saw in the inn then you must fly for he would immediately give you up as for me here she paused and then went on in a low voice as she kept back the tears i shall plunge once more into the miseries of life with a proud heart farewell sir may you be happy and farewell she beckoned to captain merle who had reached the top of the hill the young man was not prepared for such a sudden development as this stay he cried with a very fair imitation of despair the stranger had been so taken by surprise at this singular freak on the girl's part that though he was ready at that moment to sacrifice his life to gain her he invented a pitiable subterfuge to satisfy mademoiselle de vernoy without revealing his name your guess was a very near one he said i am an emigrant under sentence of death and i am called the vicomte de bauvan i came back to be near my brother in france drawn by the love of my country i hope to be struck out of the list through the influence of madame de beauharnais who is now the first consul's wife but if that fails i mean at any rate to die on french soil to fall fighting by the side of my friend montauron i am going in the first place secretly into brittany by the help of a passport that i have succeeded in obtaining to learn if any of my property there yet remains to me mademoiselle de vernoy studied the young gentleman as he spoke with keen attention she tried to weigh the truth of his words but it was in her nature to be trustful and credulous and her appearance of tranquillity slowly returned as she asked is all that you have just told me true sir absolutely true the stranger repeated who appeared to regard veracity but slightly in his dealings with women mademoiselle de vernoy heaved a deep sigh like one coming to life again ah i am really happy cried she so you quite hate my poor montauran no she said you cannot understand me i did not wish that you should be threatened by dangers from which i will try to shield him since he is your friend who told you that montauran was in danger oh sir if i had not just left paris where nothing but his adventure is being talked of the commandant told us quite sufficient about him at alencon i think then i am going to ask you in what way you could shield him from danger and suppose i should not choose to answer she said with the haughty expression which women so readily assume to conceal their feelings what right have you to know my secrets the right that a man who loves you ought to have already 
said she no sir you do not love me for you i am simply a fitting object for a passing affair of gallantry did i not read your thoughts at the first glance could a woman with any experience of good society as manners are at present be deceived about you when she hears a pupil from the ecole polytechnique choose his expressions as you do and when he so clumsily disguises his courtly breeding beneath an appearance of republicanism there is a trace of powder about your hair an aristocratic atmosphere about you which any woman of the world would recognize at once it was because i trembled for you that i so promptly dismissed my director whose wits are as keen as a woman's a genuine republican officer from the ecole sir would never have thought to make a conquest of me nor would he have taken me for a good-looking adventuress permit me monsieur de bauvan to put a small piece of feminine reasoning before you are you really so young that you do not know that the most difficult conquests to make are those creatures of our sex whose market value is known and who are satiated with pleasure to gain that kind of woman so they say great inducements are needed and she only surrenders at her own caprice to attempt to make any impression upon her would be the acme of self-conceit in a man let us leave out of the question the women of the class in which you are so gallant as to include me because it is understood that they all must be beautiful and you ought to see that a witty and beautiful young woman of good birth for you concede those advantages to me is not to be purchased there is but one way of winning her she must be loved now you understand me if she loves and condescends to folly there must be something great in it to justify her in her own eyes pardon an exuberance of reasoning not often met with in persons of my sex but for your own sake and for mine she added with a bend of her head i would not have either of us deceived as to the worth of the other nor would i have you believe that mademoiselle de vernoy whether fiend or angel girl or woman could allow herself to be captivated by the commonplaces of gallantry mademoiselle began the supposed viscount whose surprise was extreme although he concealed it and who suddenly became once more a very fine gentleman i beg of you to believe that i will look upon you as a very noble woman full of lofty and generous feeling or as a kind-hearted girl whichever you choose i do not ask so much of you sir she said laughing leave me my incognito my mask moreover fits more closely than yours does and it pleases me to retain it if only that i may know whether people who speak of love to me are sincere do not venture to approach me so heedlessly hear me sir she went on grasping his arm firmly if you could satisfy me that your love was sincere 
no power on earth should sunder us yes i could wish to share in the larger life of a man to be wedded to lofty ambitions and great thoughts unfaithfulness is impossible to noble hearts constancy is a part of their natural strength i should be always loved always happy but yet i should not be ready at all times to lay myself under the feet of the man i loved as a step upon which he might rise in his career i could not give up all things for him endure all things from him and still love on even when he had ceased to love me i have never yet ventured to confide the longings of my own heart to another nor to speak of the impassioned impulses of the enthusiasm that consumes me but i can readily speak to you of them to some extent because the moment that you are in safety we shall separate separate never he cried electrified by the tones of her voice through which a powerful soul vibrated a soul at strife as it seemed with some vast thought are you free she asked with a scornful glance at him which made him shrink oh free yes but for the sentence of death then she spoke and her voice was full of bitterness if this were not all a dream what a glorious life ours should be but let us commit no follies though i may have talked foolishly everything seems doubtful when i think of all that you ought to become before you can appreciate me at my just worth and nothing would be doubtful to me if you would be mine hush she cried as she heard the words with a genuine ring of passion in them the air is certainly no longer wholesome for us let us go back to our chaperones it was not long before the coach overtook the two who resumed their places and they went on in silence for several leagues if both of them had plenty to think about their eyes henceforth avoided each other no more each seemed to have since their conversation an equal interest in watching the other and in keeping an important secret hidden yet each also felt attracted to the other by a desire which had risen to the degree of passion as each recognized characteristics which enhanced the pleasure they expected to receive from union or from conflict perhaps both of them embarked upon their lives of adventure had come to the strange condition of mind when either from weariness or by way of a challenge to fate we decline to reflect seriously over the course we are pursuing and yield ourselves up to the caprices of fortune precisely because there is but one possible issue which we behold as the inevitable result of it all are there not abysses and declivities in the moral as in the physical world wherein 
vigorous natures love to plunge and endanger their existence with the joy of a gambler who stakes his whole fortune on one throw mademoiselle de vernoy and the young noble had in a manner come to understand these ideas which were common to them both since the conversation which had given rise to them and both had suddenly made great progress when the sympathy of the soul had followed that of their senses for all that the more inevitably they felt drawn towards each other the more they became absorbed in unconsciously counting up the amount of happiness to come for them if only for the sake of the additional pleasure the young man had not recovered from his amazement at the depths of thought in this extraordinary girl and he began with wondering how she could combine so much experience with such youthful freshness he next thought that he discerned an intense desire to appear innocent in the studied innocence of marie's general behavior he suspected this to be assumed he took himself to task for his delight and could only see a clever actress in this fair stranger he was quite right mademoiselle de vernoy like all girls who have been early thrown on the world become more and more reserved as her feelings grew warmer and very naturally she assumed that prudish mien which women use successfully to conceal their violent desires all women would fain meet love with a maiden soul and when it is theirs no longer their hypocrisy is a tribute with which they welcome love's coming these were the thoughts that passed rapidly through the mind of the noble and gave him pleasure both of them in fact could not but make some progress in love by this examination in this way a lover swiftly reaches the point where the defects in his mistress are so many reasons for loving her the more mademoiselle de vernoy's meditations lasted longer than those of the emigrant perhaps her imagination took flight over a wider stretching future he was obeying but one of a thousand impulses that go to make up a man's experience in life but the girl foresaw her whole future taking a pleasure in making it fair and full of happiness and of great and noble ideas so in these dreams she was happy the present and the future her wild fancies and the actual reality alike charmed her and marie now sought to retrace her steps the better to establish her power over the young man's heart acting in this instinctively as all women do after she had determined to surrender herself entirely she wished so to speak to yield inch by inch she would fain have recalled every action every look and word in the past to make them in accord with the dignity of a woman who is loved 
Her eyes at times expressed a kind of terror as she brooded over the bold attitude she had assumed in their late conversation. But as she looked at his resolute face again, she thought that one so strong must needs be generous too, and exulted within herself that a lot more glorious than that of most other women had fallen to her, in that her lover was a man of powerful character, a man with a death sentence hanging over him, who had just put his own life in peril to make war with the Republic. The thought that such a soul as this was hers alone, with no other to share it, gave a different complexion to everything else. Between that moment only five hours ago, when she had arranged her face and voice so as to attract this gentleman, and the present, when she could perturb him with a glance, there lay a difference as great as between a dead and a living world. Beneath her frank laughter and blithe coquetry, lay a hidden and mighty passion, tricked out like misfortune in a smile. End of section 10